Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marcia, and I can't sit back and relax because Virginia's on today, too. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about her, yeah. what was in the past. Okay, so we've done two shows this, uh, in the last couple weeks, so that's a good thing. I don't know what. It's funny yeah. because we have the, we went for, we did for so many years shows, and mm-hmm. um, we both did them separately. And Dominic, who's our guest, Domingo, you had him on your show. And I yes, just, I, yes. I think I was Dom- on. Yeah, I've had, back when I was, was part of the network, I, I had Dominic on. And I actually have had, when I was running the book festival out here in St. George, Utah, Dominic yeah. came out and has done some presentations. So him and I have actually have crossed paths many, many times and have mm-hmm. stayed in contact over the years, even during my hiatus. So, <laughs> And I'm sure that you don't miss those your little event. Oh, the little event that was a big event. That that was hard. Yeah. Event. No, no, I, don't, I don't miss it. But but yeah, yeah so so Dominic, how to say, but Dominic reached out to me and and told me that that he's been working on different stuff and is in the process of uh, releasing a new new book. And I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> Was asked if I still do radio shows and kind of commented that well, not not as much, no. but that I'd be willing to come back and and kind of side host with you and and have them talk about our books. So I guess we should welcome Dominic to the show. Yes, hi. <laughs> We're very <laughs> happy to have you. <laughs> I'm actually learning. I, I I didn't know all the backstory, but I <laughs> I'm glad to be part of your reunion. Put it that way. <laughs> I didn't well, really I, I, I never, so tell me if I'm wrong, Virginia. I know that I was on with you twice on some kind of talk radio show. And then, yes, I did the uh, St. George Book Festival. World of Ink. But one of the two World times of that I guessed with you was with Martian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah it was a show we did jointly together. Red River Radio. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I used to, what happened was, was Virginia had a show, you know, and sometimes I would just be listening, and then she said, oh, come on, okay, come on, oh, you know, we we actually listened to each other's shows, yes, mm-hmm. but, and then we had a lot of them together, and those were, yeah, yeah, I I telling her to one come back. just Virginia, and one with the two yeah. of you together. Yeah, right. It was always a blast, so we're, we're hoping yes, to try. <laughs> the magic will happen again. duo there, right. Okay, Virginia, tell everybody a little bit so they know who you are that that, that haven't been listening, you know, that have not are not from the past. So tell everybody a little yeah. bit who you are. A little bit of who I am. Okay, so besides the fact that Marcia dragged me into Blog Talk Radio back in like 
2009, so my gosh, yeah. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was a children's, children's and teen author at the time. Uh, since then, from back in the day, I am known as an award-winning um, author and editor in children's and young adult fiction. I ran a children, online children's magazine before everybody started getting into really getting into online magazines, um, yep. stories for children, yep. which is been closed yep. for a number of years now. Um, and I was director of the St. George Book Festival out in Utah. Um, and then I took a six-year hiatus because I went back to college to pursue my, my passion in psychology and cognitive behavioral um, analysis. And a whole bunch of things keep coming up to mind, and Marsha and I still talk, and she dragged me on. A, no, I'm just kidding. I reached out to Marsha a few weeks ago, and we did, we did a show on censorship. And ironically, right after that, Dominic reached out to me and was telling me about, about uh, his new book, and, and we're talking about maybe doing something in the future together. On blog well, the language suffers, yeah, and this transitional <laughs> exactly. period. So, yeah, it's all very ironic. We're kind of all considering the same, right, <laughs> the same things at the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to yeah. have people on this network. I'm very happy to have people on. You know, because, listen, listen because the, the subjects that, well, that when we were at Red River, when that's how we both started. But, well, I started on Red River, and then I met Virginia there, I put in, I think, I think at that time I put an ad or something, they said, put an ad in and you can get somebody that will assist you. And then, so I put an ad online. Uh, remember she said that uh, April, the one that was from Red River and she said, put an ad and I go, okay, I'll put an ad in. And I go, and then yeah. Virginia responded and a whole bunch of people responded. But after Virginia and I talked, I didn't call anybody else back. I just knew we were a match, and we just had done shows all the time. And then she was the assistant, and then she became my co-host, and then she had her own shows, and that's it. I mean, that is our history, yeah, because and, – and Red River, I was the one that would do – everybody else had just books or something, and I would do all these different kinds of subjects because I think the subjects – there's so many different things. That's why when Virginia said censorship – I said, that's mm-hmm. a good one. And then now with you and I, we're going to talk about, you know, we've talked before the show, inspirational COVID, what happened, how you got to be inspired by it in COVID. And, you know, and you've written a book and you, I mean, it's it, we've all changed. So I want you to tell everybody mm. just how you started a little of what you began, how you began and where you are now today. I'm assuming you're addressing that to me. <laughs> yes. No. Sorry. Uh, yes, okay. I am. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's uh, unfortunately that's a bit of a long answer because uh, my my path has been not not a direct one, which is a good thing, right? I've been able to dabble in a lot of different things, and I'm very you know proud of that, being able being able to craft my own career, and it all does fall under storytelling. So I'll try to make it short. You know, I um, was born in Burbank, California, in 1968, and uh, you know, a very provincial, believe it or not, right next door to Hollywood, but very provincial. And uh, I ended up studying illustration at Art Center College of Design just because I like to draw and paint. I was given a typewriter at the age of nine, so it's clearly, you know, I identified as a writer, I guess, as a child, but something had to take the forefront when 
college is looming on the horizon and you don't know what you're going to do for the rest of your life, you got to make a decision. Right, right. So I studied illustration just because Art Center was 20 minutes away. I did not investigate other schools. Very lucky to have landed in one of the top design schools in the world, you know, with a lot of nepotism and a great reputation and uh, did not investigate a single other school. But I did very well. I got, you know, hustled and got on a lot of private scholarships and got a full ride at some point. Even though my dad had claimed me on my taxes, I, <laughs> on his taxes, I was able to get a full ride through a lot of hard work once I was eligible. Anyway, graduated with distinction. I had interned at Disney Feature Animation. And I noticed in your uh, introduction, you know, you mentioned kind of overall entertainment. We could definitely talk about the filmed entertainment aspects, too. I identify as a writer at the moment, but my main career has been in filmed entertainment. So I am. Okay. I'm going to put you down. I'm going to put you down as somebody for film because we talk. I have a lot of shows that we talk about screenplays, and I'm a screenwriter also, so we can, you know, mm. talk about that too because that's such an you know you're right in the heart of it, California, you know. But now nobody has oh, exactly, in the heart of anything. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Well, I remember and so, I talked quite a bit about that. You you you've spent some time in the valley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, you anyway, we talked a little bit yeah. about uh, the Valley and uh, L.A. And, yes, it's a unique, it's its own animal for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, Virginia had another career. Virginia had another career yeah. in those days. Yeah, right. Dominic and I have talked many times because we both have circulated around in the Studio City area, which is where yeah. whenever he talks good. about Hollywood, they think, Hollywood Hills, but the studios are actually in Studio City. (laughs) Right. Yeah, North Hollywood has absolutely nothing to do with Hollywood. Unless you're from here, you don't realize that, right? Right. Anyway, so I went, I graduated in 91 from Art Center and started on a little film to become known as Lion King. It was a tiny little film, one of the first ones Disney had greenlit for development that was an original, you know, it wasn't from a public domain existing fairy tale. It was an original treatment. Anyway, and I went on 18 months early. I was on it three years, all said and done. And I stayed on for 11 years on Pocahontas, Hunchback, Tarzan, Little Match Girl, and One by One. And then things began to change. I, I kind of left mutual separation. There were a lot of layoffs, and I highly doubt I would have been renewed. But it was a good time to jump ship, and a lot of it's just, you know, did, told our own stories or kind of indulged our own passion projects, and that's exactly what I did. I went to New York Film Academy, ironically here in L.A. and not New York, and uh, <laughs> learned live-action filmmaking. I did some live-action films that made it in festivals and won some awards, but I certainly didn't have a rich uncle to finance my independent films, so, you know, it was kind that's of the long right. stretches. That's def- that yeah, is the problem. you need a rich right. uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So I, anyway, it was very rewarding, but I uh, did not have a financier. I just wanted, if anything, I guess I thought, I'd be like Almodovar, where you just, you know, you're not filthy rich, but you just finance one film and it leads you to the next one, and you have somebody that really believes in your voice, right? And, yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. never happened. Yeah, My yeah, rich yeah, uncle yeah. turned out to be a, a mafioso. So. so that kind of led, what? speaking of screenwriting, I, I do remember the point where I said, you know, I have two original screenplay credits. I'm SAG IMDb Films with distribution. I didn't set out for that. I just wrote the screenplays in order to make the films. Uh, you know, I guess yeah. I identified as an auteur, but I just wrote them in order to make them. I had no 
you know, become a screenwriter or die plan. It just happened. Right. But I realized that's no small thing. I should put that on the front burner. And that's when I started writing my narrative nonfiction essays and yeah. The Nameless yeah. Prince, which you may remember. And so The Nameless mm-hmm. Prince, which is my young adult trilogy, got published with a medium-sized imprint, and that took the front burner. So, you know, I'm, I identify a little bit as a live-action filmmaker, just somebody without any funding. <laughs> and now I'm really putting which is which is majority which is a majority of the filmmakers are you know and even you know celebrities they have a hard time getting money to do the films so oh, yeah. it's not yeah. easy whoever you are getting well even when you have a name attached I've had some name actors yeah. and of course you hope yeah. that that attracts the financing but it's a long haul and uh, yeah, the one time haul. I did work with an investor in Texas it just was more of a headache than it was worth all said and done. So, you know, I'm used to being uh, responsible for crews of hundreds, but not nervous investors, you know? So that film... Because the process is... They don't know the process. They just put the money in. But it's a long process getting... You know, and like you said, you had distribution. So when you have distribution... That's a good thing. Mm. If you don't, if you have a movie with no distribution, you're not going. Well, we have to do the, we have to do the festival circuit to land the distribution. So my point is, it's a long haul, and I just was frankly exhausted. Yeah, and I thought, you know, sitting at a coffee shop and checking away on a laptop is really appealing to me. <laughs> not responsible <laughs> for you know hundreds of people, and uh, it just was a nice breather, you know. Yeah. Very solitary yeah. pursuit. Yeah. Well, I'd say with like with with your background and everything you've done, because of the fact that it is so diverse within the arts in in total, you know, and you really think about it. I mean, I think that's one yeah. thing that's made you such an amazing storyteller because you understand it from so many creative angles, from right. directing, from act, yeah. from acting, from right. you know, writing, and then of course the actual artistic element of you know pencil and, and paint to paper. <laughs> right. Well, all of that well, matters. All of that matters. Well, it, it does because, for example, you know, film is a feeling medium. You show it, you don't say it, right? If you want butts mm-hmm. to sit in a piece for 90 minutes, you don't use characters as mouthpieces for exposition. You show it. You don't say it, right? So they all have their own rules. I mean, theaters can be really heady and cerebral and philosophical. But you bore the hell out of people, right? With that kind of stuff. I did feel lucky because I kind of have learned the rules for each event, if that makes sense. And they made it a working game, too. And that's all game play driven. So even with the art direction in animated film, your art direction is how I best support the story arc and the character arc emotionally, right? Even a color script is only there to support the emotional arc of the story. In gaming, I was kind of shocked when I first worked on Silent Hill. The smartest bit of art direction I got from the art director was like, oh, yeah, dude, put a hook on it. <laughs> I was doing a creature design, and he wanted a hook on it to sell up the game and had a, a bitchin'-looking hook. <laughs> Gameplay-driven, but it's also a little bit juvenile, if that makes sense. I think I can't hear that. See, I think I is there an echo? I feel like I yeah, I just I did. Did we lose Dominic? Are you still there? Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. here. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. First thing I thought I lost you guys. Um, so talking about all that and, and, and the fact that you just, you understand all the different, you know, artistic genres when it comes to storytelling and crafting, you've written your new book, um, The Seeker. So what made you decide to base this literally in a mythological setting? Because <laughs> I mean, it literally is within your Greek mythology. <laughs> right. Well, I do like to preface it by saying I am by no means an expert in Greek classicism nor mythology in general. It's not, you know what I mean, an educational book about the Aegean or about Bronze Age Winona culture. It's just a story. So I take artistic license. I try to honor, you know, what I understand about the canon of Greek deities and Greek classicism. So it's about Bronze Age Minoan culture that's sort of told mm-hmm. through the lens of Greek classicism. But I invent when and where I feel like it. So, for example, Icarus is a big player in this. And I will answer your question in one second. But I, I invented the demigods, if that makes sense, and then I've honored uh, those that make sense to my story, like Icarus. So in a really roundabout way, the way this came about, and it was partially driven by, like we talked about earlier, Marsha, the, the creative um, explosion that a lot of us experienced during the pandemic. But over 25 years ago, I had written a little version of Icarus. And it was meant to be a picture book, a children's picture book. And what impressed me so much about the myth, when you take it in isolation, I'm sorry, when you put it in context, right, a lot of the analysis mm-hmm. you hear of Greek myths seem to be in a complete isolation. But when I took the myth of Icarus and I put it in context, the meaning was profound to me. So throughout the ages, most people, you know, uh, like in the Dark Ages and the Renaissance, most Judeo-Christian cultures have framed it as, oh, know your place in the universe. Mankind was not meant to fly, right? Don't fly too high, don't fly too low, take the middle path, moderation. Well, perfect for the Dark Ages, right? <laughs> and then right. in the Renaissance, yeah. it started seeing a little more humanism in it. Yeah. But when I read it, I thought, well, how come nobody talks about all the messed up, sorry, S-H-I-T, that Daedalus did, the father, long before Icarus even came along. So probably because of my daddy issues, I was like, this is about the sins of the father. So I won't go on and on, but, you know, Daedalus was the inventor. He's the god archetype, the inventor archetype. But Daedalus pushed a boy from a cliff. I don't know if you remember that one, but he pushed a competitor from a cliff to his death, and he was never found guilty of the crime, but he was exiled. That's how he mm-hmm. got involved with King Minos and became, you know, invented for whimsy of the kingship. So his whole career, and then he, you know, <laughs> helped build the white, uh, the bull to ravage Athens. I don't know if you remember, that's how the Minotaur was conceived, but a bull was sent to ravage Athens. And Pathabe satisfied her lust, and that's how the Minotaur was born. So, in other words, he sold out his talent, actually. It's related to creativity in a way. Because he sold out his mm-hmm. talent and did some pretty corrupt things. So the way to put it in a nutshell, his whole career was like making up for former mistakes and trying to redeem himself. Well, when Icarus came along, this was his chance for redemption, right? And a lot of children, I'm sorry, yeah, a lot of children start to feel this obligation to fulfill the high dreams of their parents and redeem them. And so I really mm-hmm. identify with that, that Icarus tried to fly higher and tried to reach the sun because he felt the weight of trying to redeem the 
thin with the butter, the bad blood, however you want to put it. So anyway, right. that's a little deep for a children's book, for a picture book, but I, I wrote a kind of dark, edgy version of it. And again, that was 25 years ago. Well, during the pandemic, when things started to open up a little bit, then they closed back down, I was able to go back to the gym for five minutes. And I was on the life cycle, and I read Madeline Miller's uh, The Song of Achilles. I don't know if you've heard of that. Dirk, Dirk mm-hmm. got a lot of attention. Anyway, she's probably the most um, famous mythic fiction author at the moment. And uh, I really was impressed with Song of Achilles, and I thought, you know, uh, I've got a Greek myth in me, and it, uh, I kind of thought, I can do this better. It sounds horrible. But uh, so I was inspired by her, and then I dusted off my thing from 25 years ago about Icarus, and it all started there. Sorry for the long answer, by the way. <laughs> no, it's yeah. a great yeah, and it answer. Turned into something else. It turned into much more. The, the story of Icarus became one chapter in this novel. So I can talk about you know, right. what it became, but you asked about the impetus. That's what, that's what happens sometimes when you start. That's why a lot of people think if they start a book, you know, and they're not sure, sometimes everything comes and falls in place. Because I think a lot of people think like a writer sits down and everything comes to them at once, and that's really not the case. It comes in pieces to a lot of writers. Right. And, you well, know, if you're starting to write like a book, it's always reader. different. It's, it's yeah, different. everybody's process is different, too. And for yeah. me, though, the best, I think it's most direct when you honor inspiration and it propels you, right, and you just gain more and more momentum by honoring that inspiration. But what happens to me, and I think a lot of artists, is whatever is happening, art always reflects life. So, of course, when you put pen to paper, it's going to be your worldview at the moment. It's going to be a snapshot of your psyche at the moment. But I love when it's so direct that every day, novels take a while to write, right? So you might have a structure, and in my case, I do. I've got my three-by-five cards. I've got all the plot points worked out and the turning points. And, you know, I know exactly what a story I want. I know the outcome, actually. I know what I'm trying to impart. But every single day, if you're open to it and you're like an antenna, little images you see will inform it in the moment, if that makes sense. And literally, yeah. I talk about inventing characters. Well, there came a point where I needed a little myth of my own. I needed to, needed to invent it right. Right. and right. Uh, yeah. support the story. And the day that I needed that, somebody literally came out of the mouth of somebody at Starbucks. I mean, amazing things like that happen throughout. I've got yeah, one more yeah. story on it. Yeah, because so I, I, honor think, inspiration I think that's how it goes. Right. I think, yeah, I think that is how it goes for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you're open to the creative process and it's organic, synchronicity happens. So the, just for fun, a really startling thing like that happened also at Starbucks. So there comes a point in my story where I think it's a rite of passage in the spiritual journey where we feel a little bit, you know, like Christ on the cross looked over and he said, why, you know, why have you betrayed me? So it's not when you shoot right. your fist to God, but you feel a little bit chewed up and spit out, right? Like, really, is the universe done with me? I've got, I've got more to do here. And you kind of dig your heels in and you, you use free will, is the way I put it, to co-create with fate or destiny. You, you assert your free will. So anyway, I decided I'm going to really up the stakes, and there's going to be a climactic scene in which Zeus literally parts the clouds, and his head's going to come through the clouds and kind of go head-to-head with the protagonist on the case. 
So Amadeus can assert his free will if that makes sense. So anyway, and he does feel very much like the gods have an end for him. And that reflects what was going on with my health and my little brush with death. I felt like I'm not done here. I'll explain that in a minute. But I'm not done here. There's more work to do. So anyway, I'm in the middle of writing that scene. And uh, my neighbor sits down at Starbucks. And he's kind of a, a bitter gentleman. We'll just say that. Uh, he's still kind of dirty after talking to him, right? Like he needs a, a shower. He's just so negative. But for some reason, I like him, and I, I put up with it, but then I always need a shower. So he sat down at Starbucks and started rapping and raving, and this was mid-pandemic. You know, we were all a little bit delusional. And he's uh, African-American, so he was very involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, but some really unique opinions, I'll just say that. Anyway, he... he Somewhere in there, I said, well, you know, I've been fighting for my life. He didn't know all the details of my health struggle, but I said, I've been fighting for my life. And he said, yeah, I've heard that fighting for my life thing. I hear people around here saying there's just fighting to stay alive. But what for? Their lives ain't shit. I mean, (laughs) he literally (laughs) told me in so many words, my life had no value. So I said, you're going, well, you never know from the outside, number one, right? How can you judge somebody right. else yeah, right. exactly. from the outside? Yeah. So, so I just kind of laughed, and I took, but I got home, and I realized he just told me what the God seemed to be saying to Amateus, my main character, right? We're done with you. Yeah. Your life has no value. And the startling thing was his name is Zeus. My neighbor's name is Zeus. I didn't put two and two together until I got home. Right. Is that amazing? But he gave me the yeah, whole sometimes, sometimes the pieces for like that. It's like magic. It's like a magical thing when things happen <laughs> like that. Well, yeah. And I'll just say, take take your story and, you know, like you said, like, you know, it's something that's been like 25 in the works where, you know, 25 years ago, you, you know, kind of came up with this idea. I think that, you know, with the pandemic and everything that you've gone through, Dominic, as well, you know, I think it was like your headspace was like right there because I, I noticed that when when I was going through the book and I, I, I want to go back to him because I know he said it to me. I was finishing up some of my my college studies at the time, so I didn't get to like mm. really read and digest. I could like really like go over pages over multiple times to really take in everything. Um, but I really you felt like... You seem a little like, bit, Virginia, you seem a little busy, by the way. <laughs> you're my <laughs> idol. I'm very, I'm very impressed with what you're doing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, but I noticed that, you know, like, a lot of your, you know, what your characters were going through or how they were reacting was a lot, was very reflective of, like, what we were seeing from, like, pre-lockdown to as we've come out of the lockdown. Yeah. I mean, and, of course, yeah. you know, you finished this before, like, where we're at even now, but, I mean, it's it, it's kind of like, you know, your 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 writing is, 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 is imitating history, I guess, um, yeah. would be a way yeah. to say it. It's, it's very reflective of that, and I and I love the story for that because, like you said earlier, you know, we're always trying to make sense of the world around us, and I, I, I think your headspace was there like, this is such a great story, and at the same time, subconsciously, I think you were also like, and how do I make sense of all of this with what's going on That's around right. me? Right. And, that, uh, yeah. yeah. Because I've had, so, well, I've had, we've had a lot of shows talking about how people are different, and how they, you know, like even at the beginning of the first show I had during COVID, it's like 
everybody oh we'll be out in a few, in a few days you know and then right, right. a few months <laughs> and everybody right. was and everybody was feeling different but weird because at the beginning you go oh can we even do two days or three days and then it got longer and right. longer and then as it became a couple of years then people when, when I've done shows be talking about it it's like almost sometimes it ha- you know it happened but you can't believe it did happen and everybody changed mm-hmm. so much and if you go back and well, do some of the things now you think it changed well I I think that um, it's pretty surreal right now is the way I would put it you know every, everything changed but in terms of yeah. I mean everybody was processing it differently uh, you're right. In the beginning, we had no idea how long it was going to last or right. you know, what all the implications were. But what I noticed yeah. almost immediately is people were searching for the meaning of it. I had already been in the hospital for 18 days and had my brush with death. I'll explain that in a minute. But my world had already completely changed. So I didn't bat an eye. You know, like we said earlier, I was kind of uh, working from home, freelance. So I was used to isolation. I didn't, I didn't bat an eye. But what I did notice was people were really looking for the significance in it. What does this mean? What's on the horizon? What's the big shift? And I had a way yeah. to see attitude about it because I had this broadened perspective. But when yeah. I did finally allow myself to try to speculate, you know, about the meaning in it, my take was we're being we're being put in a timeout, a cultural timeout. And I still yeah. feel that way. It was a time to yeah. tone, to reflect, slow the yeah. F down. And consider what we've done, just like when you put a child in time. That sounds really judgmental, but I'm still convinced because we are on the cusp. If you look for the hope in all of this, you know, strife always signals hope, right? We only evolve through crisis. So I do mm-hmm. feel like we're kind of being told, hey, take a look at a lot of things that have not been working in our favor for, I don't know, 500 years like patriarchy, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. everything that comes from patriarchy, like capitalist greed, exploitation, marginalization, right, underrepresented groups. And I do see change happening. It's just there's growing pains. It's really painful while it's happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I you know, and do, people do say that, you know, and, you know, when they, you know, still people are not, like, back at work. And now if they have to go yeah. back to work, they're they're not, they're shocked. And they don't want to go back to work. And it's like they're so used mm-hmm. to being at home. And, you know, but, you know, on the other end, if there are, like, a lot of people from corporations, you know, because sometimes when you put people together in corporations, they fight, they argue, you know, they get mad mm-hmm. at each other. But probably during COVID, it didn't happen as much because they weren't in the same room. So they didn't right. have that same madness and, you know, where they're not going to talk to them again because it's just not, it's a different kind of conversation. You're not sitting around a table where everybody's there or present. But now they're all home. Well, there's different a places. lot of too. Yeah. I think there, uh, and all I can speak in my own industry, so in animation, uh, I've noticed, and I have heard other people say, it, it, to varying degrees, it's happening in all fields. But in animation, management and production finally realized, oh, we don't need to breathe down their necks. They actually do the work from home. They actually deliver. So this hybrid working model is definitely alive and well, right? And the freelancing yeah. idea that we don't need to be in the same room for a stupid meeting that we could have on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know like, look, 
like a look at a lot of those meetings, you know, there's tons of fights that happen at meetings. People get mm-hmm. mad at each other, you know, this one quits, that one, but you know, a lot of people didn't quit because if they were angry when they got off the phone, they could just watch TV, they could, you know, sit there and have a <laughs> cup of coffee, they could have a drink if they drink, you know, whatever. They not do anything rash. Yeah. To calm down, and then the next day comes, you know, so, but it's not a head-on where they're, you know, but on the other hand, the shows that I that people have been on talking about these things and how they feel, they some were very isolated, you know, also, and that, for some, has been really traumatic, the isolation. Well, but fighting for a lot depression, of I think everybody's, everybody's fighting depression, you know. But again, in animation, sorry, I just want to go back to something you just said. Uh, I, I can speak mostly to animation. But for years, there has been this idea that an open floor plan, right, open floor plans as opposed to offices and cubicles, supposedly yeah. increases productivity because there's more of a change of ideas. That turned out to be completely untrue study after study for what I do when you need solid blocks of time in which to be, you know, concentrating on one side of your brain, an office is the only way for specialized tasks, right? And yeah. it's just yeah. a moneymaker to say, let's throw them all out in one big room and save, save money, right? So yeah. I, I, I see the value of folks because when you work in isolation, um, yes, yeah. You need a sense of community. When you're a nameless, faceless employee, it's a lot easier to get your say, right? And so the solidarity yeah. and the morale does yeah. depend on meeting sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't, you know, and they really don't know what to do with themselves, a lot of people. You know, they are right now trying to come off from what happened all these three years and trying to make sense of it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, thinking about it is, you know, the way some people are thinking about it, it's it's been a, a big chunk of time for people, and they, you know, life has to change, and it did, and so now they have to come back and do things. But for a writer, I think some writers were, just could, they could sit down and just keep writing, and a lot of people just could not, not come up. Some people would say, oh, maybe I did 10 words. That's all they could do. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't. They'd well, yeah, they sit down. I think uh, it's about yeah. having discipline with your craft, right? And yeah. for you to seem to struggle with the most. And also, being depressed. Yeah. See, the thing is, discipline, mm. like if you're a writer and you're disciplined, but when you're disciplined and you're feeling depressed, it's a whole different thing because you're, yeah. you're, just, you're all over the place. The you just don't know. Inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Or being out even. Like you said, a coffee shop. I mean, so many people that have been on the show said they missed that they didn't go to Starbucks or whatever because they, I mean, I went there myself. I used to sit and just have coffee and you're not listening around you kind of in an atmosphere. And for some reason, for me, I just felt like I could write better when I was out. Yep. You know, we have this yeah, no, I've, sitting I've, always been, I've written novels, yeah. entire novels in coffee shops. So yeah, that is yeah. my thing. You know, I can't just roll over a hard and start writing the same environment. I read your reviews. I read your reviews. People are liking it. So how when people are people is this uh, becoming conversation for you now? People are just wanting to talk about the things you want to talk about now, where they, they might not have talked about it before, but now they have a reference because of your book that they can feel like they can talk to you about this. Well. Uh, uh, you may be talking about the language of the soul. That's my other pandemic book. Right, right, um, right. But but anything. But when you have writing with meaning, 
you know, I think mm-hmm. people, a lot mm. of people write, but they don't have any meat. You know, it doesn't have meat, and they're not, there's nothing to talk about, you know. But in, well, you know, because it's a romance, and not that romances, because I write romances, but, you know, a lot of times it does spur conversations. But when you're thinking mythically and doing it, you know, in a magical mm-hmm. type of world, too, also, people enjoy that, I think, now. They want to discuss things. They like that, I think. And going every I don't know. Out, I don't know. Have you been out to I'm talk sure like in groups? Have you been in groups? That's you know, because I think when you go to a place and speak and talk, I mean, do you do that at all? Because I think people like to talk about. They like authors being there. Right. Have you well, been any place? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of the launch for both books. The launch is June first. Yeah. So yes, I'm doing more and more of that with the <clears throat> goal of platform building and promoting the launch. But I think what you're hinting at is that yes, in my community of artists, and I'm very much involved with CTN Creative Talent Network, which is one of the top the very first year, eleven years ago that CTN hosted what's called CTN Expo, which uh, is an animation festival. The first year it became the largest animation festival in the world, and it's remained that. So I I have a reach, a global reach through CTN, if that makes sense. So when it became really clear that, you know, all of us were depressed, not just artists, but artists especially needed to support one another and remind one another why we do what we do, why we tell stories. I was actually asked to do, uh, I think it was a 12-week little uh, Zoom presentation on story. And I immediately have a little resistance to talking about technique or craft. I call it the nuts and bolts of craft. You know, there's a million books on story. We don't need another, right, another whole 14-week seminar on stories. And specifically, my, my, I guess, resistance is there's a presumption that there's a good, bad, right, or wrong kind of story to tell. And I don't believe we can't define beauty or art, right? And so how could there be a right or wrong? I just think there's cause and effect. So well, I tend to agree, with, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree on that because, right, yeah. because I, you know, I have so many different authors on. But, you know, and the thing is we do have some basic things that we all agree on when we're writing and you know, we're talking about it. But it is nice. To hear, you know, because I have a lot of different, like a, years ago, people, nobody wanted to talk to horror writers. And I have lots of horror writers that are on the show. And in fact, I'm doing one next week, you know. But the fact is, they're basically, they're writers. So we're all writers. And just the right, fact Right, but that I, I was get, people, what I was people, getting at, the point I was trying to make is I don't, I'm not interested in teaching craft. I taught at Art Center for 20 years. And yeah, a lot of right, it was technique. Right. And it was nice to fall back on. Chevrolet's laws of color theory or the gestalt principles, it felt great to have tradition and convention to fall back on. But that wasn't the rewarding part of teaching. The rewarding part in visual development, for example, was to see these entire worlds that would come out of students and to see 12 students interpret an intellectual property in 12 different ways based on their worldview and their soul, their thumbprint. So that's the rewarding part of teaching for me. I agree with that because Virginia and I I had talked about that to want to do, remember Virginia, we were going to maybe do seminar, you know, some webinars and things oh, like yeah. that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, there are far too many, and a lot of, and there is no. I agree with you in the fact there is no one style that you say, and so because I think a lot of people think that you fit into. No, you don't. When you write, you, there's so many different kinds of ways, and there are so many of them now, and a lot of them, quite frankly, they're not good. So I think some of the messages <laughs> that people are people are getting are wrong, and they're they're well, thinking they have to be in a mold. Well, the way I relate to that is, um, again, I have no desire to teach the nuts and bolts. I just wanted to right. talk, and this yeah, is what I, I my response yeah. was, I'll yeah. talk about the why part of the equation, why we tell stories in the first place, why have we been driven from day one through oral tradition around the campfire up through the latest, greatest Matrix movie, why are we driven to tell stories? So that's why I agreed to do the talk. The talk became the book, Language. So, yeah, I think we're, we're saying the same thing. For me, there's what's called voice. You mentioned style. I frankly distinguish between voice and style, right? Yeah. So somebody's voice could be the worldview, your emotional baggage, your parents' emotional baggage, the historical baggage of your right ethnic origins. There's so much that's indefinable that constitutes your worldview and your voice. Style is almost like, you know, the things you couldn't say are typical of genre writing. A hard-boiled detective novel might have A, B, C, and D. So, anyway, I think your your voice gets plugged into a style, right, or vice versa. But yeah. I'm just more interested in nurturing voice with artists and then connecting that voice with the sense of You're purpose. right about that. I think, Virginia, do you remember years ago, like, I asked, I think I asked Virginia this question because neither of us came up, because people would say, okay, they don't like the voice of it. They don't like the style of it. They don't like the voice. And I never, I couldn't ever understand what they meant by certain things like that. Yeah. You know, because if it's well, a story, I, remember, I, that, remember that? Yeah. No, I, I remember what you're talking about. And and I think Dominic's yeah. hitting, on, hitting on it perfectly because right. the one right. thing that I think a lot, especially like when you and I first started doing these shows and, and one yeah. reason why back, back obviously years ago because I've known, yeah. oh yeah, I've known Dominic for pretty much as long as I've known you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that that was one of the things like that that I think always drew me to him as as an yeah. artist is because right. Dominic really because of the fact that you you do the artistic side of you know actual drawing and and all of that and the animation side of it but then you also write is that you always understood voice and and you always understood that your characters and the story needed to reach deep. And, I mean, it's just like, you know, your book, The Seeker, or um, your other books you've done. um, Gosh, what what is it? I know it's it's The Something Prince. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. The Nameless Prince. Yeah, The Nameless nameless Prince, which I've read that one. all of your characters, they they go. The, you don't just talk about adventure and just like the typical story arc. Your characters actually go deep within themselves, be it on a spiritual level, um, you know, inner journey of discovery of self. I mean, you hit a lot of you know psychology aspects of, of mm-hmm. behavior and mental process and and I think that's right. where voice becomes unique is when it is right. when someone who writes can do that. 
Right. If I can jump in because, to tie it back, I thank you for saying that, by the way. I identify with all of that. So thanks for appreciating that about my work. But to tie it back uh, to what Marcia said a moment ago, and I'm going to sound like an elitist. You know, for me, the what I'm trying to impart, the concept, right, that's the mm-hmm. only reason to write. So I do think there's a lot of people out there, again, that's the something Marcia was saying. I think sometimes it feels uninspired or cookie cutter when it's not based on that lightning strike of inspiration because what, yeah. what are you doing? Well, you're mimicking. You're mimicking. So yeah. there's a lot of mimicry right now. I have 23 yeah. nieces and nephews, yeah. and I've also taught college for 20 years. So when you don't have something to say, meaning when you don't nurture the inner realm or the spiritual journey or emotional maturity as a goal in and of itself, you have nothing to say in the world, so you're mimicking. I don't judge that. I'm a filmmaker because I have a love of Steven Spielberg, E.T. and Indiana Jones and all these films that captured my imagination as a child. I'm really not judging that. But I think you grow into having something to say, right? right, And that's also because you you watch films. Now, we were talking about this on one of my shows a while ago because – I think a lot of authors, and even when I was an agent, I would talk to people. They're looking for scripts, and they, I go, "Well, what do you watch?" And they go, well, "We don't like, we don't see movies, we don't watch TV." And I'm, I'm thinking, "Well, like, how, how do you know that what, what's really out there then, and what you, you can explore?" And what I find really interesting lately is a lot of young people are now starting to watch old movies because the dialogue is better. Mm-hmm. Me too, mm-hmm. and, and I love old. Movies and because the dialogue is better and it's very it's it's light it's not like well, you know like you know it's it's about, how people yeah. really talk. <laughs> well, the thing, putting, putting it on a on, on the literature scale, um, which of course the three of us will really understand this because you know yeah. we're. I don't want to say we're dinosaurs, but I guess we're going to be dinosaurs no, to no, no, no. anybody younger listening to this. But you know, it's it's it, it, and I'm not and I and I've actually taken a writing course with James Patterson, so forgive me for saying this, but it's like taking James Patterson, <laughs> who writes. I mean, you know, and I know there's all those TikTok jokes that he writes everything that's in a bookstore just under different you know names. Anyhow, yeah. you have someone like him who you know basically it's a very structured. And it's not a bad thing, you know, but it's a very structured outline. It's very typical because it's what we used to call the dime store novel for a reason because it was very general based. And then you have someone like Hemingway, which is going to be like, you know, classic, very, you know, lyrical type literature and yeah there's no comparison and and i think that's the thing is i think everybody's getting so tired of of the james patterson model that they're looking for that deeper meaning which is why you see people turning back to a lot of the old classics dickens yeah shakespeare we talk about it a lot i I think that's good yeah yeah no and and it's interesting young people in their 20s go ahead it seems the correlation though it's almost like you know, genre writing, they call it. Genre writing is distinct from literary fiction. It's almost like mm-hmm. those with something to say naturally gravitate toward literary fiction, right? And those that are more likely to mimic are more attracted to genre writing. So, mm-hmm. and I've, I've heard a lot of writers be falsely humble about it. They'll say, oh, I, I just talked about the superficial plot. I don't attach any meaning to that. There's no parable. There's no allegory. There's no metaphorical archetypes at work. I just write about damn vampires. You know, either they save the president or they don't. I just worry about the superficial plot. 
And my thought was, well, the joke's on you because we're wired to project meaning on things, right? So I think right. we'd be false, humble, and a little bit facetious. But the truth is, we will project on right and ink splatter when we read. So I don't know. I I, I think this I mean, is I, like, like, I, like to, I like to know about my characters, and I write little notes all the time about them because I feel that you know even. I, I like to know my characters. So right now I'm doing a series. I'm not sure I'll do a series again, but however, but, but you do get to, look, to learn about your character. And I feel that for me, that's what I like to do because I'll go, oh, he won't do this or she won't do that. But a lot of people, they just keep writing and writing books, just pull them out. But I, I can't write that fast because I have to know who I'm. I, I just, the dialogue has to be right. You know, and I do think if people would like to write dialogue, they should watch movies and they should try a screenplay because it's, once you write a screenplay, you know how to do that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's like a, <laughs> I a, remember a lesson the plan. First screen, the first screenplay I ever wrote, and it's actually the reason I decided to leave Disney and go to New York Film Academy. I wrote a really personal, inspired screenplay. But that was my big yeah. fear. I I'd always heard, oh, yeah, I, you know, the biggest challenge is dialogue and nobody writes the way people actually speak. So, hang out in coffee shops 24-7 and take notes. And for me, it was like, I'm human. And, I, you know, uh, right, uh, right. Virginia, right. you'll relate. You know, be, and a lot of people don't know they don't do Anthropology right. and sociology and, and mm-hmm. uh, college to be just a little bit dangerous. So I think part of what it is to be a writer is to be an observer of human nature and a little bit of a psychologist. And so to me, I thought, what's all the fuss about? I know how people speak. I've been on the planet for 40 years at that point. And but I got I got it out of my system at my point. I made it a point to tackle dialogue straight out the gate and get comfortable with it. And I got really good feedback. I got a bunch of actors together and did a reading and they really sunk their teeth in. But it was a little too talky, you know? I learned to be a little more economical. <laughs> Less is more with dialogue sometimes. Well, right, well, that's the thing. You edit yourself. You can edit yourself out. Once you've done a screenplay, you can edit yourself out because you know what's important and what's not, and then you realize, like, two paragraphs of something could be told in, like, four sentences that are a conversation. Right. So I think that's the other right. thing. You know, but a lot of people do – like, I'm not one of them. I'm not really great with description. And I want to be sometimes, but then I don't even like to read that. That's why I do love movies. So I write like what I see. But I do think there are people, you know, so that's the thing. Everybody is so different, you know, in how they write. Yeah. And that's what's so unique about yeah. writing. And it's so unique about different books. And so I think that people, if they're listening out there, what I try to tell them is to just to enjoy what you're doing and not try to write like go. somebody else or be like anybody else. Because mm-hmm. Virginia and I, all our shows, we never, we told people not to be whoever they are. Yep. Yeah. Not be true to yourself. And, and if yep. you're not in the moment and you're not enjoying the creative process, then it may not speak yep. to people. Yeah, you've got to enjoy it. Right. Right, and I agree. But, but with you, though, when you do the artwork, see, I think that's really a good thing because when a lot of people, let's say you're writing a children's book, and the story is really good. And you send it to a publisher, and they, a lot of publishers, some of the people there, the editors you're sending it to, they're not that creative. So they cannot picture your beautiful story in a, in a scene. They only listen to the words. They go, oh, no, we're not looking for that. Well, how do they know they're not? They don't even understand the words because they're thinking, oh, about a, a, 
putting a picture to it, but they can't get mm. that in their mind. They're not that creative. So then they they give you know a pass. They pass on so many things they don't need to pass mm. on, but they do because they're not artistic. <clears throat> so that's a problem. They cannot see it at all. Well, and if I can so address that real quick. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd love to jump in on that one because um, well, things right are changing ahead. all the time. The, the norms, right, are changing all the time. But in the 90s, you know, I was doing a lot of book covers and interiors for Putnam, Random House, Lowell House, um, HBJ, which is now Harcourt, all the majors. I did uh, yeah. illustrations for them. And, yeah, at that time, um, they wanted to win the Caldecott. The only sort of uh, talent some of these art editors and literary editors had was to marry, right, the perfect illustrator with the yeah. perfect manuscript. That's yeah. all they had. <laughs> so it was almost like shooting yeah. yourself in the foot to present yourself yeah. as a writer illustrator. That was not the norm. Yeah. So you didn't right. have your neighbor illustrate your children's book. You didn't do it yourself. If you were really well established, then maybe an imprint would let you do your labor of love, your own. Right. Manuscript. It was written and illustrated by you. So it's all changing. I know that. But I guess what I want to say is, in my writing, because trust me, I, you kind of hinted jack of all trades, master of none. I try to put everything under the umbrella of storytelling, and I've become more and more into that realization. Everything I do is storytelling, even if it's visual storytelling. But because a lot of my peers, they, they'll, they'll buy my novel, and they'll go, where are the pictures? I'm like, it's called an effing novel. It's a novel. So they can't unknow what they know about me that I'm an illustrator. Right. So I promise you, I do not present my, if I submit a manuscript for a contest, if I submit a manuscript for publication, I don't mention the word illustration ever. I've been lucky enough to be allowed to do my own covers in some cases, but I don't, I'm smart enough to not present myself as a writer illustrator ever. So I yeah. hope my manuscripts are vivid and lush, that they immediately paint a picture, but not at the expense of story. Description, like yeah. you said, can bog down the plot. You never yeah. want your descriptions to slow down the, the story arc. So I hear right. time and again, oh, my God, your stuff is so visual. It's so, and I know it's because you're a painter. It's like, nope, I'm a good enough writer to withhold. And, and, you know, <laughs> I don't get my jolly describing <laughs> things. Sorry. Yeah. 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 See, <laughs> so you don't make storyboards then? You, you don't you don't like draw out your characters so you can visually see them on a storyboard when you're writing at all? No. I mean, here's the problem. I guess I do it to myself, right? I chose to take the Nameless Prince and do a graphic novel version of it. So I hired some of my former students, and I got a bunch of artists to try their hand at it. And I think that's my mistake. People see that out at the you know, book expos and the CPM convention and they think, you know what I mean, because of the graphic novel, that that's how I roll. Mm. No, I've never done a storyboard for a novel that I write. No. Yeah. I kind of see it like when, I, when I'm writing, I, I think when I'm writing, like I, I see it like if I'm writing a story and it's, you know, let's say they're at a dinner table, I'm sitting at the dinner table. I am there. I'm not, I don't even know if I'm knowing, I, I, they're all sit, sitting there and they're talking, but I'm not actually, actually sure if I'm even seeing them. I'm, I'm hearing all of their voices at one time, but mm-hmm. I know where I am. I'm like in there. I'm at that room. And then I go from there. 
but I, you know, stick, you know, one of the things is people, you know, in Hollywood, it would really be nice if you'd say, like, oh, I'd like to make a, a script for Sharon Stone, whatever, and you see her. But a lot of right, times, right. even when people are writing scripts now, like when I first started doing scripts years ago, we put blonde, redhead, whatever. Now it's best to do none mm-hmm. of that because then whoever reads the script can see themselves in it. Yeah. You know, rather than well, say, also, oh, I'm not blonde. I, I, I actually finally, just when I wasn't working on some indie and scraping two nickels together, uh, I finally hired a casting <laughs> agent. I had always done uh, backstage with or just kind of open calls. But yeah. we spent $10,000 on a casting director, which normally would have been 60, but it was a friend of a friend, and I pulled a favor. Spent $10,000 on a casting director. It was a whole different breed of actor. I was in awe. And just yeah. a whole, you know, Oscar nominated actors came in and read for us. It was just very eye opening. But anyway, one of the yeah, most beautiful yeah. things was little, little parts that I had written that. You know, if it's just officer number one or clerk number two, like, I didn't put a lot of thought into what ethnicity yeah. they might be. A great casting right. agent, their whole thing is is representation and, uh, you know, uh, inclusion and diversity. So they would right. bring in every ethnicity under the sun, and I just thought that was such a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, I never... I that's true. Yeah, it, yeah, because, right, it's just... It's, see, that's the thing. Yeah. You're right about that because you know what? When you're writing a script or a book, whatever, and if somebody's going to, you know, take it, you know, if they're going to reformat, make it a movie, whatever, and it's, you know, it's it's not. They can change like a lot of the stories can change to different ethnic groups. They they just appear. You know, mm-hmm. people are people, and so you know, you might have to tweak some of the things you know that somebody might say in a different religion or whatever, but. Uh, mm. Otherwise, I think they can move around and put different people in it. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I'm I'm Jewish, but I don't write my characters Jewish, you know, because then it's going to be everybody sitting around. They're just saying the same thing. So I make my characters who they are, you know, if some are Jewish, right. some are not. But that's what I think is better to do that because, you know, it, if anybody took my films they can change, they can do whatever they want they can any type of ethnic group i don't care you know of what it is it's important you know to the plot then of course well to some to... right to some you have to yeah. there's certain things that do apply but in a lot of times if you're talking about a family and the situation you can't because a lot of families have the same situations they just handle it differently or something like well, it but everybody has I, problems I, I joke that my dad's 100% Italian. My mom's English, Irish, Dutch, German, French, Native American. But my dad's a Chicago Italian, 100%. His, his mother's from Calabria, and his dad's from Sicily. And I joke, because yeah, I'm an honorary Jew. I, uh, for some reason, all my friends are Jewish. I've been to the synagogue. I go to Kabbalah. I just really yeah. resonate with it. But I joke, it's the same thing. Instead of, oh, dear God, it's Koine, right? My, my Italian grandmother teaches you to the guilt, you know, it's all guilt all the time. Yep, right, right. You know, because I see that, you know, I'm superstitious, but then there's a lot of people, you know, I'll be watching some Netflix movie and I'll go, oh, my God, I'm thinking, you know, I'm superstitious and I'm seeing them all do knocking wood, they're doing whatever. So it does apply to other people. So I think that's the thing that I would make the world so much better if everybody would like each other. It would be really nice. We talked nice? about that on my last yeah. show. It would be really nice. Because it shouldn't matter, and that would make it a lot easier for everybody. 
you know. Well, I used and to say people are people wherever you go, you know. And I do right. think, of course, there are cultural differences and culture, everything's yeah. culturally relative yeah. and different values. So things get expressed right. differently. But the basic, right, right, back to writing a little bit, the human condition is the same. And yeah. I think a lot of the um, human behavior is the same. It's just it's expressed according to the cultural values, you know. Yeah, and I think people could be different and get along really well, you know. I mean, Virginia and I had different views on many things, but then we always got along great. I mean, you know, it was never a problem for us, right? I mean, we we had some intense yeah, shows no, years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, uh, and, it, and it's true, yeah. and, and I think I think Dominic hit on a really great point. I mean, and obviously I've, I understand this more and more as I've been in school for, you know, doing the psychology thing. Um, is personality and, and behavior. I mean, and and people can go look this up. I mean, this is pretty much the one everybody knows, but it's called the big five personality traits, um, which a lot of, you know, surveys that are out there that people take from, you know, what your career path should be to, you know, mm-hmm. what if, are you introverted or extroverted type test. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those, you're right. I mean, our, our – we're human and you know so our humanistic basic needs and personality traits are you know foundational and then from there of course yeah to me the differences really come into like more of like regionally where we live what our you know belief systems are it's it's those it's those outward influences um it's more of the 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 social aspect of yeah yeah is is where that comes in, and I think sometimes we fester so much on that versus on yeah. where we really have the commonality, um, yeah. you know. And that's that's what I love about both of you guys as writers is you focus more on the on the commonality of of, of human existence versus the diverse. I mean, yeah. And when I say diverse, I'm not saying diversity is a bad thing. I'm just saying that I think we fixate too much on it. It it, it, yeah. it creates the Grand Canyon that you know can yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. You just enjoy what you, you just write. Just write about people and write about things, and just make sure that you're enjoying what you're doing. Because when you start, if you're not enjoying it, how is your reader going to enjoy it? You know, I, that's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, I think right. Dominic. I think Dominic, you sound like you enjoy what you do, which is really great. I mean, that's a good thing. I love to hear that because it's you know I it's do. important. I do. I, I never tire of it. Yeah. I mean, I will have. Hollywood shows again because it was fun, you know, for me. I love because I love movies. 
And I think, you know, so many of the people that were on the show, like we started talking about other things and we just, I had a show the other day when they were all there and I never thought we we're going to start talking about movies and we did. So, I mean, I think that's one of the common things now, actually, since COVID, I think it's more because I think people really are watching TV a lot because of Netflix, you know, Prime and all these different shows. So I think people are really trying other films that they might not have seen in the past, but they were home all the time. So that's it. They started watching a lot of TV, you know, mm. and that, that's characters. There's so many good characters. You know, on TV. I around. I never had about. Netflix until the pandemic, and now I'm hooked. I do, there's I a different type of writing. I'll say that I'm. I really respect serial writing, right? The art yeah. and the, yeah. mm-hmm. the. You know, I just love the formula, and I'm a big fan of Ryan Murphy's. And I've really come. Yeah. But I will be honest in terms of literary value and artistic integrity. Like we said, I do get to a point where the waters get kind of muddied, you know, and with all the formulaic serial yeah. writing, I feel like uh, it's yeah. really impressive, but I almost feel dirty like I need to go see a good art house film sometimes or, well, and remember the, right, right. And, the right. poetry, the poetry of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about uh, by accident I was watching, oh, my God, by accident. I just kept, so I joined the station and there's um, – uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? I do not remember ever seeing it. <laughs> I love that. So I, I said I'm not going to watch it because Joan Crawford is one of my say. I just love her, but I didn't really remember Senior. seeing that. So I started watching. I'm going like, oh my god, this is like a horror film. I mean, it really is a horror film. But I mean, you know, those films that so many years ago. But it was the, she was cruel, you know, very. But I mean, well, the, you know, what, but sometimes what I've noticed during that period is there was it was pretty dark, but it wasn't just oh. like. Ooh. Uh, it's not like a slasher. It's psychologically yeah. dark. And yeah. if you look at all the Tennessee Williams stuff that was made in the film noir era, yes. right, yes. and Baby yes. Jane, yes. and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, there's a yes. lot that yes. were even um, – I had never seen it, but what was Marilyn's last film with Rock Hudson and Monty uh, Montgomery Clift? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, the, uh, not, well – Oh, Not really Giant, no, but was... Marilyn's last film, it's black and white. Anyway, yeah. really twisted psychologically. I'm saying that for your benefit, Virginia, since you're studying psychology. I feel like we <laughs> don't go there lately uh, in terms of yeah. And I don't know, in terms of just how yeah, neurotic these, had some a lot of these problems. characters were. These people really had a lot of problems. I, they really did. You know, I mean, and they're intense problems. But I, I know what you're saying about this series because sometimes I go like, oh, can I just watch a movie? Not a series. Right, My husband, right. I mean, you know, yeah, he, yeah. He does, he gets tired of the series. He doesn't watch the same a lot of the same ones I watch lately. I mean, but I, I have been watching now Midwife, the Midwife series, and it's mm-hmm. there's twelve seasons, eleven seasons, and I didn't want to watch it, and all of a sudden I started watching it because I'm watching it because it's all about not just midwives, it's about people in the 1950s and mm-hmm. 60s, and it's just so good i love it and i can't in it and i think it's helping my writing a lot it's, it's so much heart in it so i think those mm-hmm. are the things that you know people you know sometimes you end up learning from a lot of these films now you know uh so i think it's good so i'll, I'll have to remember and have you on down <laughs> we need to do some shows on movies because this is my th- I love it. I love talking about Okay, movies. I'm not a connoisseur. Yeah. I'm still playing catch up like everybody else, but I, I'm a big fan. I love cinema. 
you what, what just tell me for what do you like what kind of films i like uh, it's funny you would say that i mean all i just love cinema and uh there's good and bad in all genres do you, have any you know favorites? Do you have but favorites? To, a better answer favorite? is i do tend to love uh auteurs i mentioned that term earlier but you know i like um writer directors so almodovar uh, Quaron, Pedro Quaron, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Alfonso Quaron. Yeah, saying sorry. Ryan, see, like Ryan Murphy, like Ryan Murphy, like he has, like, did you see Halston or that? Did you watch? That? I did, I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am yeah. a little. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I love Ryan Murphy. I'm a little. I need a break. I'm a little tired yeah. of the sophomoric. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. There's well, kind of no yeah. man's land between stylization and uh, yeah. naturalism. It's also stylized. Sometimes I feel like, is he a robot or an alien or both? Does he really know? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's too stylized. <laughs> I like his more naturalistic stuff, like uh, the O.J. Simpson trial and um, yeah, yeah, even yeah. the Monica Lewinsky story. I love the American tri- crime good. dramas. Yeah, he's very good at naturalism. I'm a little tired of the stylized stuff, like Nurse Ratchet. Did you see Ratchet? Yes, I saw that. Yeah, I, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That was a bit. Yeah, that was you know a little over the top. But the characters, the acting was really good. It's just intense. Yes, and it was beautiful to look at. Ratchet was gorgeous to look at. I'm. I just need a break from the stylized stuff because I'm not sure he knows how the human heart works. That's all. Yeah. Well, see, that's the other thing. That's the one thing that when you watch, like when I started watching The Midwife, I realized, you know, how much heart is in it in every episode. Mm. So I'm like, I'm on season 11, thank goodness. (laughs) Really happy. You know, but Virginia, I did watch The Outlander. Remember you used to tell me to watch that? Yep. Yep. And I did I did that during the pandemic because, you know, when you have like it's like seven seasons or ten seasons, and I go, and I sometimes I'm looking. I want to cheat and say, how many are in this? How many episodes are in this? And it's like there was like 20 in one of them. I'm going like, what? How it's like 20? But I mean, and you know, it's not easy to write all these. So I mean, it's amazing that they do this. You know, I I agree. Yeah, I'm you know, impressed but, with the serial writing. Is that the Outlander? Is that the one with Indiana Jones, uh, Harrison Ford? No, no Out, Outlander is is a book series. Um, oh, it's okay. based in Scotland, and she time travels. She's English, and she basically goes um, kind of. It's the English version. It's not Stonehenge, but kind of like the concept of Stonehenge, where they're right, metaphysical kind of rocks. To another, back in time, right? Yeah, back in time to. I can't remember what time frame, but anyways, it's the Highlands of Scotland and. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of time you travels. Like it. It's, you it's, like that. It's, yeah, I it's, never it's knew really, that. I really the time travel. Yeah, it was good though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's really good. It, it it was when it's when they're trying to bring um their their king back to Scotland who was um outcast. I don't know if you know. What, <laughs> my husband would be like yelling at me right now because he's such the history buff, but. Um, no, it's it's really good. I mean, it's it. I don't want to say it's too much of a of, of that stylistic writing, but it has a little bit of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it does tie in some some historical relevance as well, which to help kind of counter it somewhat. So, but I think during the, the pandemic, the Banshees of Inisherin was uh, 
Did you see that? Do you like that? uh, I have to see that. I do have to see that because, yes, I want to see it. Yeah. Because I saw the two of them a lot of shows together. Yeah. 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 And because Colin, I like him, you know, but, you know, and I do agree with you on one thing, you know, what probably can end the show soon, but I do agree with you on the series because I'm doing, this is my, I'm doing the two novellas in the same series and now I'm on the third. And I don't know if I'll do another. I don't know if I can do this again because I'm just. I think a series is really hard because it's almost like you lose some of your creativity because you have to be following the pattern. But now I think I got it together where you don't. You have to just bring in somebody and then you could just forget about the others and move on. Because I found that hard for me to do. I never did one, and I, I find it difficult to write series. And I give them credit it's if they can write hard, twenty of them. Yeah. Wow. Yes, it is. Yeah, so you're doing a you book series or a... Yeah, it's a book series, and it's got, you know, I did ah. the first one, and people liked it, and I did the second, they liked it, and I promised I would do the third, and it, I said, if this doesn't kill me, and it might, but it's still working. I, I just <laughs> couldn't get it right, but now I did, and I got it. I got it, I think. But I'm adding some stuff in because, you know, I can't write form. It's not, not that it was formula, but it's, you know, you can't swear, you can't do, you know, you can't do this, you can't do mm. that, because... If you write a sweet romance, it's got to be all sweet. And I found it difficult not being able to swear at all. Not that I'm swearing every minute, but I found it difficult to, when people were getting angry to say nothing. <laughs> Just kind of say, right. oh, well, you know, <laughs> which is not. All right, so, Virginia, this was so much fun having the, both of you on. <laughs> this is well, never know where these... Right, because and Dominic, I'm going to keep you in mind. I hope you will come back for one of these Hollywood ones because I love talking about movies, you know. And I think I so many people to, like yeah. listening to it. Okay, yeah. If you send me Absolutely. some of the movies and then that you some like, of the topics, and some of, Virginia, that you had mentioned, I would love to be part of those yeah. conversations too. Like yeah, I think yeah, I mean, we should do some psychological. I think we should do some Virginia with all that you've gone to school. Now you should be doing these. We we should do them for shows. Well, oh, yeah. Um, I think it was, you mentioned right? one about diversity and inclusion, I think. Or yeah, yeah. T- tying in diversity, inclusion, you know, inclusion. Like, like I said, you know, the fact, you know, like, like I said and earlier, you, I mean, every folk, diversity is so important. Like to understand that there is a diversity, but I think people don't always understand when they when people say inclusion like what that means and that's, that's what I said it's like focus on that commonality aspect mm-hmm. of yes we've got those differences you know in our in our social environments but mm-hmm. you know behavioral in in the nature side <laughs> sorry I don't mean to get all you know using the big no, you know, not that huge terminology but going into that more terminology thing yeah I mean yeah, if the two and, and, and how that ties in, shows, that would be great. And yeah, I'll, and how it times come on the network, the two of you. Absolutely, yeah, because because Dominic years ago, which is how the whole conversation kind of got started. And I was already thinking there, um, and obviously, and, and Dominic knows that that my oldest is is transgender, and you know, came out a year ago with that, and and stuff. And but years ago, Dominic was talking about when that was all, you know, still kind of very new on the horizon of the whole, you know, they, them versus he, she and and writing. And, and that's kind of, we kind of started talking about It's like, yes, there's, there's a time and place, but then we need to understand that diversity doesn't mean everything should just flip to one viewpoint. It's that inclusion Mm -hmm. part that everybody talks about, but sometimes kind of gets more <laughs> overshadowed, 
And, you know, right. so, yeah. <laughs> no, so I, I would love so, to be included in that conversation. Right. right. If you two yes, want to absolutely. Shows, you know, you two can just start your own little show, that's fine. You could do it on this network because <laughs> I think it's fine because I want those subjects, you know. I, you know, and I'm, I'm diversifying too. I, I know all my subjects now for people because I've, I'm always yeah. been open on everything. So, and, you know, and my, and with other shows that I do, you know, so I think I'm happy to have you guys if you want to do it on the network because it'd be fine. Because I like to discuss, I like, you know, all of this to be discussed because I think it's important discussions for people. Yeah. Absolutely. You, know, yeah. you can't well, be afraid to discuss things. Okay. I think okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I just, I Dominic, I have to survive my next six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Dominic. Tell tell everybody where they can get your books. I have it on the show page. Oh. There's his website and an Amazon link, but they can get them right. other places well, also. Exactly. I mean, if you just Google the seeker, Dominic Domingo, it's on Barnes yeah. and Noble and Amazon. Of course, I make more if you go to Lulu.com. The seeker, Dominic Domingo. And Dominic has a CK. So yeah, you I think make the more on, are perfect. You make more if you're on. You make more on Lulu, Sorry? really. You make more money on Lulu. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, it's okay. it's the main publisher, and there's less people in the pie, you know, as far as distributors. But yeah. um So yeah, the other book is the language of the soul, and just to wrap things up, you know that. There's a whole chapter on not just diversity and inclusion, but how story really is socialization. Like we were talking about, you know, human nature is human nature, and the commonality is despite, you know, cultural relativity of socialization and all that. So anyway, it's the whole book mm-hmm. is about how story is just all around us all day, every day. The stories we tell ourselves, right, this, our history is just one big story, and we internalize it. So anyway, yeah. uh, the other... Are you thinking of doing your books? Soul. Are you thinking of doing your books on Amazon at all, or uh, uh, like an Audible? Because Audible, the ACX. They're right now. They're right now. Both books are eBooks and print books. Um, right, I saw that. Right, they're I not. I would love to. I, I've done just for fun. I've done the audio book of the Nameless Prince. I did the first two chapters with my neighbor. Happens to be a voiceover artist, so she did a beautiful job. But that was just a vanity project. I guess if one of my books did well enough, wouldn't they come to me and ask me to do the audio book? <laughs> no, because, okay, you can do, you can go out, I'll just do this quickly, because you can go on hcx.com. If, as long as your book is on Amazon and there's a link, you can go, you can do it, and it's 50-50 where you, they pay, uh, Amazon, get, you know, you put your book out there, and then they find, and you can put it out there for an audition, and many narrators come in, and they sure. audition. And Amazon does fifty fifty, and uh, they handle all the money. You don't, you don't. Wow! And once it's the not book AI, is done, it's yeah, so it's free. It's, yeah, right. Well, but mine it's are not all an AI yeah. voiceover artist. It's a human no, being. mine are all mine are all people. It's it's ACX. Wow. If you go on ACX dot com, yeah, my all my books are uh, by people. Yeah, and I I it's like. Funny, I just sub- I just submitted an audition tape to Audible dot com. They were yeah, looking for yeah. new voiceover artists. And I, in animation, I've, you know, done character work for years. So, fingers crossed. So, you could probably do it, you you could do your it yourself on ACX. <laughs> you could do it on ACX mm-hmm. yourself. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> I've I know. About that. I know. 
<laughs> it, it, but it, it, I, I love audiobooks. But a lot of the people are on the show, my show, they do not like re- listening to audiobooks. I love it. I, I do not like listening to the gym. Yeah, that's um, audiobooks are my life just because I'm so busy now that in my car and when I'm walking and stuff, that's that's how I get it all in. <laughs> do you do uh, this anyone with still the again? Commute? Oh, you're still doing it. Okay. I'm going to send you some. Well, I'll send you. you some codes. Thank you so much for being on, <laughs> and it's been great. And I hope you two decide to do a show together. It would be wonderful. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm Thank not you so much. in the summer or whenever you're, or whenever Virginia, whenever you two, you know, want to get together to do some shows. I'm happy to have you on the network. Okay, you know, you'll be without. You could be without me. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> I trust that you can do shows. <laughs> well, I think it's something, it's something we're talking about. All right, thanks. All right, so it's great having you on, Dominic. What? Right. Oh, I just trying to know it's great having him on. Okay. Yes, right. Great. Thank you. All right, thanks. All right, take care. Take nice, care. Nice to have you. Talk on. to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.